Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hello and welcome to Podside Picnic. I am your uh, temporary host for the evening, Kurt, and uh, tonight we are going to be talking about uh, the, I believe it's Hugo winning? I I don't even remember anymore. To be perfectly honest, I largely stopped paying attention to to the awards and it has been overall better for my mental health. Uh, But uh, Legends and Lattes, uh, the story of, uh, well, really... Uh, a story about not a whole lot, uh, but a lot of pleasantry along the way um, about an orc, uh, more or less, who opens a coffee shop in kind of a stereotypical uh, fantasy city. And uh, coming along uh, with me for the evening to uh, s- serve up um, what I imagine will be not not quite steaming hot takes uh, is uh, Lennox, uh, late yes. of the Bloodknife Parish in the past as well. <laughs> yeah, howdy y'all. I'm Linux. Uh really glad to be here. Um yeah. Uh it, it didn't win a Hugo, but it was nominated. Oh, okay. Hugo. Okay, thank you. Yeah, shows shows just how much I actually started paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I no I'm I, actually I am going to actually scrounge up one hot take um which is okay. I honestly think that on the basis of prose quality, uh, and this may shock people coming from me, I think that that this book is arguably more Hugo worthy in terms of prose quality than some of the other ones that have been really raved over uh, lately. Uh, although, you know, I, I definitely have my criticisms of this book. I was surprised um, mm-hmm. that overall, on the whole, uh, I found it like pleasant but forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's generally my take from it as well. I did find the prose quite um, propulsive. I thought it moved really well throughout the story. And I think that, I mean, the thing that it compared naturally to for me for some reason was like Babel uh, from either last year or the year before. And it's definitely better prose than that. Oh, um, oh, oh, that's um, R.F. Quang. R.F. Quang, yeah. Quang, thank you. Um, when, when people... <laughs> The first time I, I I I had heard people talking about Babel or Babel, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, I, I I was really confused recently because I heard someone talking about it, and I I assumed that they meant the Samuel Delaney book, uh, uh, yeah, Babel Seventeen, yeah. I think it is, which I haven't yes. read, but I, I I am aware of, and I know that it is somewhat infamous for for being um, controversial, confusing, and somewhat impenetrable. At times, yes. again, I haven't read it, but I was like, man, there's a lot of people talking about this uh, Sam Delaney book lately. <laughs> so <laughs> no, I, yeah. I literally just made that connection. So that make that makes sense. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I think um, so. You know what? Before I go into that, j- just in mm-hmm. case anybody is is somehow unfamiliar, um, the full title of the book is Legends and Lattes, a novel of high fantasy and low stakes by Travis Baldry, who I gather before this book was primarily a self-published 
uh, kind of like co- cozy fiction author, uh, but but primarily was an audiobook narrator. And we'll come back to that because he does narrate the audiobook himself. And I have to say, I, I was really impressed at the quality um, of uh, the audiobook. But um, suffice to say, it, it is very much kind of right down the middle in the cozy fantasy uh, genre, subgenre, however you, you want to view it, which which is to say it's a very, you know, I mean, it says it says right in the title, you know, low stakes. Um, and it is exceptionally low stakes, uh, to the point that I think I, I felt like it probably could have been a little bit higher stakes, uh, (laughs) and, and still been, you know, too cozy for me. But I I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing about the preferences of, you know, people who set out to, to read cozy fantasy. But, um, if I have a criticism, it's that I, I kind of felt like this book was all B plot and I was kind of waiting a little bit for at least like a hint of an a plot and you think you're going to get one because there is yes. the um there is like like a sort of mafia after a fashion um mm-hmm. who and that that plot really like just goes nowhere <laughs> it completely fizzles out w- within i assume two pages i also read the audiobook and the whole encounter with the the chief mafioso uh resolved so quickly i had to reread that part three times because <laughs> yeah, i was, was cooking and i was like what just happened actually but no it's um the mafia is called the the madrigal the and that seems yeah. to refer both to the the group of the madrigal's followers and the individual uh mm-hmm. named the madrigal and it it in they seek rent uh from viv uh, the protagonist of legends and lattes uh from the the cafe which is oddly also called legends and lattes uh and <laughs> and viv refuses to pay rent so we think that they'll fight and then when viv actually like gets thrown down a trap door into the lair of the magical, uh, they just decide to to give them some treats once a week. Yeah, like some of the they're just a nice old lady, literally just <laughs> yes. a nice old lady, and not even so. So uh, again, to rewind, um, Legends and Lattes is basically the story of a a former very D and D style adventurer. Like yes. I feel like there's there's kind of like a glaze of D and D. Uh, you know, non specifically uh, modern D and D, modern D and D, very much like five. Uh, you know what? Not not five E. I would say like four E. This feels yeah. like to to me. It's not it's not quite five E. It's it's still got a lot of that that kind of like uh, kind of like traditional fantasy trapping. So like there's gnomes, mm-hmm. there's dwarves, um, but it's it's about a a former orc mercenary slash mm-hmm. adventurer named Viv. Um, she basically like at the very beginning of the book, she does one last job and she comes away with this thing's called the, the, a scalvert's stone, um, which is kind of like a, like, like a magic gem kind of taken very witcher style from yes. the corpse of, of this, this beast, um, which we, we gradually learn is, is supposed to like kind of grant luck or success to, to its bearer. Um, and Viv sets out to start basically uh, a coffee shop in the city of Thune, um, mm-hmm. w- you know, initially as a kind of solo endeavor, but but, but basically using, you know, the I don't know if they're ill gotten, but certainly the hard gotten gains uh, of her mercenary lifestyle. Yes. Um, go ahead. And it's actually I found Thune, the city to be quite a funny setting. Like it's it's. 
4E is a really natural comparison, I think, but the other comparison that I had while reading it was just like early 2000s fantasy video game, which I think makes sense. I think Travis Baldry made a number of those, but just in the sense that like it's set up exactly how I guess a city on the port is set up and nothing is really explained beyond what you very exactly need. Um, So like as soon as she arrives in town, uh, Viv is able to find uh, uh, an abandoned stable (laughs) to to turn into the perfect cafe. Uh, And then it's just a a quick wander over to the shipyard to find someone to to do the woodwork that she needs. And it seems very like um, compressed in that way. Yeah, but it's 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 funny because it's both compressed and to to my mind, at least at, at the beginning, this is less of an issue early on, like later mm-hmm. on, but early on, it's very laboriously relating literally every single thing that happens. So it's like yes. Viv wakes up in the morning, she goes down into the coffee shop, she sees that she needs to buy coal, she walks over to the place where they sell coal and she buys a cartload of coal and then she rides back you know, on the cart and has a little conversation on the cart that like doesn't really like amount to anything. It's just like a pleasant conversation. And then and then yeah. she goes, well, now I need to order a sign. And so she goes to the sign shop and orders that, you know, and it's very like, uh, have you ever, uh, have you ever read any uh, Terry Pratchett novels? Yeah. Yeah. I've read a few Terry Pratchett. Uh, his like witch series. I okay. Think. Have you read any of the Ankh Morpork ones, like the guards novels? Yes, yes. So, so that's what th- this this most reminded me of Ankh Morpork, but really without like any of the humor. Which, which it's it's funny because yes. like this is really not. It, th- this reads to me like it should be a comedy. Like it really yeah, reads but it to takes me like itself seriously. Yeah, yeah, like fairly seriously, but not not like not overwhelmingly serious. Again, like this is again, it's it's low stakes. Says right on the mm-hmm. cover. Um, but like, there's not really any jokes per se. There's, there's banter, but yes. I, I'm going to say banter, non-pejorative banter. Like it's not, it's not the, that, that's, that's the big thing that surprised me about, about this book is that, you know, if you haven't read it, you've probably imagined the absolute worst case scenario, which is like people constantly saying like forced, not really very funny jokes, um, lots of kind of like tired cliche, and it really doesn't have any of that. No, um, but it doesn't really replace it with anything. Like it's just, it just doesn't really have. Like it never really tries to be funny. You know, <laughs> no, it's, it's it just kind of. It doesn't quite try to be funny, and it's. I think that what makes it compelling is somehow also that it's from so deep within the head of Viv. Uh, like that, that adds a sense of of dullness to the uh, certainly the first like half of it, but also how Viv interacts with all these other characters almost exclusively through just deep, dense dialogue is sort of yes. what what makes it work at all, I think. But that even that is sort of overshadowed by the fact that these are all, to my mind, quite mythic archetypes of characters. Like Viv herself is is the, the retiring uh, adventurer, uh, and she's obviously very good at killing people, never shows us that, uh, but is having to learn how to be good at, at interacting with people in another way. And then on the flip side, like, you know, Tandri, the, the succubus love interest that we meet uh, – uh, in, at the end of maybe the first third of the novel uh, is compelling for a totally different reason, which is that we don't understand her relationship to the town at all, except that she seems to like be very foreign to this place. Uh, and also Viv is briefly terrified of being near a succubus. Well, that's so this is one of the things that is kind of like a complaint that I have um, mm-hmm. about the novel. And, and I think that you really put put 
like hit the nail on the head when you said it's very like it's very archetype based, mm-hmm. but the archetypes are more mentioned than they actually play into the story at all. So like yes. I was expecting so so like if this were a Discworld novel and like th- this is the premise of a number of Discworld novels, especially like the later ones, there's a whole bunch in a row where the, the basic concept is like somebody, often a gnome or a dwarf or someone invents something that exists in the in our world mm-hmm. and the humor arises from putting it into the fantasy world of like, oh, well, you know, what if there were what, what, what if somebody invented, you know, fax machines? Uh, in in D&D, essentially, like war. What if somebody invented the steam engine? And usually there would be two plots to this. And and one would be kind of like the sort of comedy of manners of, oh, isn't it funny that, you know, to use this book as an example, isn't it funny that this huge, super strong, burly orc who is very good at killing people and nothing else um, is now, you know, trying to run a coffee shop? And I think that that's that's what like appeals to people. But I was disappointed in the fact like it, it really doesn't play. It, it very rarely comes up like Viv to, to your point. Yeah. Like we, we never really see Viv being a mercenary except like one scene at the very beginning. Yeah. But I was expecting a lot more of like, you know, Viv is, a, is like a very strong orc who's used to swinging a huge sword around and mm-hmm. maybe she'll accidentally crush some coffee mugs or someone will piss exactly. her off and she'll she'll struggle to control her anger. And that really never happens, like to the point that. I almost felt like this book would have been more interesting from one of the other characters point of view, because they're all drawn, I think, in a much more rich way than Viv is. And Viv is just kind of like a cipher. And that that was my big letdown was I was like, I'm waiting for her to do some work stuff because one of the central themes of the book is like, you don't have to be what you've been. You know, you can change (laughs) your destiny. You've been a warrior. You don't have to be a warrior. But it's sort of deadened by the fact that, like, we never really see Viv especially struggle with with this. (laughs) Viv doesn't struggle with anything as far as I can tell until the last hour of the book uh, when when the cafe is burnt to the ground, basically. Uh, And that is only even briefly a problem. Uh, It would probably be maybe five pages uh, that the cafe doesn't exist and isn't doing well. And I found that to be like the most disappointing part of the read, just because like there's a thought before she goes to confront the mafioso that she might use violence in doing so. And Tandri, her, her love interest by that point, you know, is, is very worried about her engaging in violence and like goes to great lengths to try to articulate to the, the other characters and mostly us, it feels like that Viv should not or cannot be violent any longer, but we don't understand why a Viv can't do that and b how Tandri is aware of like Viv's apparently dread uh, um, history. Uh, it's very, yeah. it's very awkwardly paced, I think. Yeah. Which, which like we never, re- like, I feel like there were chunks missing. Like I, I think that what was in this book was pretty high quality overall. Like, like yes. I'll talk a little bit more about the pros in a, in a bit, but like in terms, yeah, like in terms of the pacing, the basic plot beats, like the, the way that kind of the, the cast of characters comes together, I thought was very well done. You know, like characters are introduced. You basically, you immediately know who they are. And yes, it's, it's very cliche based, but like, I'm not opposed to that necessarily. Oh, no, it's comfortable. Um, 
Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it's fine. Although, like, I would have liked a bit. Uh, that's another thing. I, I would have liked a bit more detail instead of just like, well, you know what a gnome is, right? They're one of the. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but like Viv, we never really actually understand, like, why was Viv so desperate to get away from this warrior mm-hmm lifestyle and and it, it makes sense in a in like a realistic way of like yeah it's probably not super pleasant to go around murdering people all the time mm-hmm. um but we never really see any again i'm not i'm not saying like this book needed more trauma but like i would have liked some indication of like why was she trying so desperately to get away from this life was there something that happened was it the emotional but was it the burden of it like what's the what is the ramifications that she's trying to escape? And and then that would explain why Tandri, the succubus, is is like, oh, no, like, you can't do this. And why Viv is like, no, I can't go back to being the old me. It's like, well, why not? Yeah. You kind of, I mean, you are a huge orc with a, a, an enormous sword. You probably mm-hmm. could just be like, don't fuck with me, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's if it's like a town full of seemingly very normal people who have nothing to do with that level of like – apparently huge violence exactly but i think that i think that the under exploration of mechanics is one of the biggest issues i have with this story and now that's possibly you know that's just not the story that uh baldry was trying to tell but like i think a lot about the coffee machine and the degree to which we it's not explained how that works uh and that's okay but like and you don't need like electricity or whatever to run a uh even a cappuccino machine uh the at the italians have had them for longer than electricity has existed but it would be nice to have some uh exploration of any of the any of the mechanics of the of that in particular the coffee machine and and anything else kind of going on in the story uh one thing that struck me really early on was ho- uh the carpenter cow mm-hmm. uh he's a hob which is which is something i'm i'm only vaguely familiar with is like a house spirit uh mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. like Germanic folklore, but it's not explained at all uh, how how cow really looks uh, <laughs> or what any any other hob it, we encounter looks like. But but it's it's treated as like fact, like we know, like we should know. Yeah, like you know what a hob is, just like yeah, yeah. like you know what a succubus, you know succubus does succubus stuff. Is an L. It it is funny though when like um when like a book like this relies so much on like cliche to. Mm-hmm to explain the characters and then kind of like gently scolds you for assuming it's like, well, you didn't give me anything else to go on. You just said there are succubus and it's like, and and there, there is something, you know, I, I do think there's something noble in being like, well, that doesn't mean, you know, a succubus doesn't need to be like, you know, a horny sex demon. Yeah. You know, they could choose to be something else. But, uh, but at the same time, then I do think you need to maybe like, spend a little I, I this is this is a bad example because i actually felt like tandry is probably the the best the most fleshed out character yeah tandry's the holly of this story yeah um the the other character th- that i wanted m- to know more about is thimble the ratkin mm-hmm. baker mm-hmm. and i really yes. want b- because again this is a very terry pratchett thing it's like the you know the the kind of stereotypically unclean hated little you know rat person turns out to be very good at something you know unexpected and they really probably have like 20 lines in the entire book and and because you know it's it's kind of like a one sentence joke oh you know imagine a ratkin baking but as the book goes on i almost found myself like forgetting that it was even supposed to be like a fantasy novel because like you could kind of just do like a find and replace um Mm -hmm. You know, and and get rid of all the fantasy language, and it would basically just be 
you know, this this could have been the story of literally anybody opening a coffee shop, which I mean, I guess, yes. is, you know, fairly realistic in terms of a business. Oh, but but also what you said before about like, well, like, where does the coffee machine come from? That was something that I was really missing is that sense of like, oh, like, here's a new idea. How do we make this mm-hmm. work? Like, I would have mm-hmm. loved something with like, you know, gnomish tinkerers or whatever, figuring out how to make an espresso machine and like, oh, yes. if we do this, then this will happen. And it said it's later just like, well, we, you know, I ordered a way for it and then it showed up, which granted yeah. is, you no know, more on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, that perfect, perfect example of something that I would have loved to see is something about yes. like Gnomish Amazon. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's just there's just not but like it would be very easy. Like the like it's it's not like it tries something and fails. Mm-hmm. I it, it really does at times feel like parts of the book were like almost edited out, which I assume is yes. not true. Um but but yeah, there's there's something there's something missing. Yeah, I mean, when I I funnily enough, my hot take about this book is that it's not a fantasy novel. It's it's an it's like a, just a slice of life novel yeah. uh, that yeah. happens to have been skinned as fantasy, uh, and it's almost it really speaks to like cottagecore to me, uh, which is like a how do I describe cottagecore? It's like a movement of of a club eclecticism and and homeliness that has kind of risen up out of like mostly TikTok. Um, And to me, like the way that it presents kind of this very comfortable setting, you know, they focus a lot on like um, the kind of drapes and, and home goods involved in the cafe, specifically in the part where uh, Viv lives, uh, which is up above it uh, more so than they do say the mechanics of the things. Uh, and that focus to me speaks to that, like a similar movement uh, that you see online. But um, with Thimble, I I found that, you know, I also I really liked Thimble as a character. And I also really found the idea that Thimble doesn't speak much. Uh, Thimble's not exactly mute, but it's apparent, I guess, you know, it's probably hard for them to speak common or something. So mm-hmm. they mostly just gesture. And I really liked that and found that to be compelling. But it was completely uh, underexplored as a narrative device because you just you were just always told exactly what thimble meant and i was like there's no yeah viv never struggles right there's no <laughs> there's no moment of oh we can't quite figure out what he means uh, except for when he wants a larger stove um which does take a an odd amount of time to kind of figure out yeah exactly like and Again, that's something that I think could have made for some very easy comedy, which like not yes. I'm not saying that it was needed, but I think that that would have kept me paying attention a bit longer because I mm-hmm. so I I read the first two chapters and the last two chapters um, and then the rest I listened to as an audiobook, which which is okay. kind of like, wow, which which is which is what I do for books that. I like I want to have an opinion on the prose and I find mm-hmm. it hard to get a read on the prose from audiobooks because it just kind of yeah. like watches over you. And there's something I don't know. There, there's something about reading it that I, I think makes it a lot easier to pay attention to like word choice and sentence structure. Um, and to, to that point, like it is it is pretty well written. Like like mm-hmm. it's not it's it's nothing. It, it's nothing amazing. But it is like you know, it's I I would say it's it's very competent. It's very fast paced and 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 breezy. You know, I'm I'm gonna read a real short section from the beginning here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so this is this is Viv arriving arriving at the city of Thune. 
Viv stood in the morning chill, looking down into the broad valley below. The city of Thun bristled up from a bed of fog that hazed the banks of the river bisecting it. Here and there, a copper-clad steeple flashed in the sun. She had broken camp in the pre-dawn dark, and her long legs had eaten up the final few miles. Black blood weighed heavy on her back, the scalvered stone tucked in one of her inner jacket pockets. She could feel it like a hard, withered apple, and reflexively touched it through the cloth from time to time to reassure herself it was still there. And, um you know, it's like, it's, it's fine. Like it's, mm-hmm. I would say it is above average uh, prose, but, yeah, but it kind of, it doesn't really distinguish itself, but I was impressed at how, I don't know, like uh, I have no idea how much Travis Baldry wrote as a self-published author. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, this reads like the prose of somebody who's been writing for about 20 years as like a professional author, um, yes. but, prob- but probably doesn't write the kind of books that I would enjoy reading, you know, but still like, mm-hmm. like there's a, there's a very high baseline level of competence to the point that I thought this was much better written than a lot of the like currently published short stories and even like, you know, lauded novels and novellas that tend to come across my desk. So to absolutely speak. like it reads like, it reads like book seven out of 15 of a best-selling series from 1992, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just enough prose to get by, but still doing something really uh, pleasant. Like, it's a pleasant read. It, it moves at a good pace, even though there's certainly not a um, – not to get too Joseph Campbell, but there's certainly not a, a traditional uh, arc of, of narrative going on. Uh, that drives it. It still has enough beats involved at the, at the kind of um, – structural level to keep you interested. I was always like curious what was going to happen next, particularly in that first half or so when the cafe is uh, still finding itself and no one even knows what coffee is in the town of Thune. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that, that is definitely like, to to me, that was the most compelling aspect of the story. And I felt like, again, like everything else in the book, you know, probably on purpose, it's dispensed Mm -hmm. with so quickly. Yes. Where it's literally like, you know, two customers are described coming in repeatedly and then they're like, we love coffee now. And then suddenly it's just full all the time and nothing ever apart from it burning down, you know, nothing ever really threatens it again. You know, not yeah. to be like, ooh, this is what you know, it should have been a different book. But like, again, like if if I imagine the Terry Pratchett version of this, there would be first of all there would probably be racism expressed towards viv that was a common theme in terry pratchett especially for like you know stereotypically races seen as like warlike in fantasy Mm -hmm. like like trolls for instance or like you know like uh dwarves there there was a big focus on on like prejudice against them um there probably would have been some kind of a rumor spread about the shop that turned people Mm -hmm. away from it and they would have to you know you know make some point to win people back over um the the whole thing with the mafia would have become like I, I actually think this that was resolved in a very Terry Pratchett way, but it would have dragged on a lot longer and there would have been like, you know, like the second in command would have decided to, you know, go against the 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 madrigals wishes and actually yes. do something to the shop and then it would have you know, you would meet the madrigal at the very end and that that would be the resolution um, and there would have been some kind of like big, I don't know, like like a corruption, st- some kind of like local government story where it turns out there's like, you know, the city council is run by necromancers and they're doing some kind of a <laughs> scheme that she's interfering with by accident. You know, like just like yeah. there, 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 there would have been a little bit more um, 
to it, but, but like what's there isn't isn't unpleasant. Um, it's just a little bit. I, I I just felt like more could have been done with it. Yeah, and I think that there are brief moments that hint at something more happening. There's this uh, gnome who plays chess in Dorius, the cafe. I think. Yes, yeah, and we don't um, – they keep trying to see who is playing the other side of this chess game. And by the end, he reveals that he is somehow playing the other side of this chess game and was an adventurer at some point. Um, but but he and this other character uh, who I don't at all recall the name of but who puts a ward on the um, – Hemington. Yes, Hemington. He's a wizard who comes in and he puts a ward on the cafe to protect it only after he's kind of been coming for some time. Yeah. Uh, I think from the local wizards college, which which again, a very, a very Pratchett beat. Yeah. And that was, I really liked hearing about the college uh, and the way in which the college and uh, Finnis, who was a student there interact with, um, or not Finnis, not Finnis, uh, but there was a student there who interacted with Tandry, uh, who comes in and has like one of the very few uh, moments of suspense in the yeah, he, in the book. He's a creep. Yeah, he's exactly. A, he, yeah, uh, um, Kellen, I believe. Kellen yes. is his name, and it is funny. It, it, again, it is funny how <laughs> how they just like go away. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, he comes yeah, back and is like, I'm very sorry, m'lady. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He kind of goes from like an aggressive creep to like a passive aggressive creep. It's still kind of amazing. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, again, I would have like, yeah, to your point, I would have liked to see a bit more of that. I would have liked to see like uh, just just a, a little bit more beyond the confines of like the one block around around the coffee shop. Because, you know, if if this were a worse book, I wouldn't be asking for more. But like, I feel like, like Baldry has more in him. Like I, like he's, he's clearly, again, I think he's a quite good writer. Like, like, Mm -hmm. I I think he's got a lot of, it, it, this didn't strike me except in plot structure as, as a young adult book. Like I didn't really feel like it was written, especially like a young adult. Oh yeah, I agree. I would say it's written in like a very like light fantasy sort of way. You know, it's it's certainly yeah. not like Conan. <laughs> no, uh, but it, it is a quite vast fantasy. It's certainly the only thing I've seen that has tried to take on, you know, having a hob and having a succubus and having a, a rat folk as kind of core characters in a world that is also mostly human, it seems. Um and and that is played off of kind of Viv leaving the most traditional uh, band of adventurers you've ever imagined yeah. with like the annoying <laughs> elf, the yeah. very like cold dwarf. Uh, there's some guy called Tavis uh, who is a fae. And then there's a gnome thief. And like you, you have these extremely obvious beats there yes. that then become completely. Player uh, handbook characters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I felt I literally <laughs> the note that I wrote is, you know, your standard adventuring party circa yeah. 1989. Like Yeah, exactly. Which is to to my mind was the other thing that struck me as very odd mm-hmm. is is how there was a lot of emphasis on like how different this book was. And to me, yes. it was actually quite familiar because yes. like I said before, it really feels like yeah, like, like you said that end that like late 80s early 90s stereotypical fantasy which i thought everybody was fucking fed up with and hated and was like thank god that's done with and so i was very surprised to start reading this and be like oh this is like this literally would have been called something like you know 
Sword of the Amor Chord, you know, book yes. seven of the Contingency Chronicles or something, you know, <laughs> by somebody yeah. who, who has also written 25 Star Wars novels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you if you add uh, a few subplots of her actually fighting the mob uh, and maybe like killing something else or like uh, working with the, uh, the the dire cat that comes in to maybe hunt something, yes. then you could have just named this after her sword and had a put completely uh, the same book, but you know, another 200 pages of action. And it would have been just, just totally printable for the past 20 years. Um, but I do, I did my, I think my favorite, beats within it came around the character of Cal. I just really did find him to be charming uh, in how he slowly comes out of his shell throughout the book. Yeah. Uh, and then by the end, he helps like uh, rebuild her cafe, whereas at first he was like very reproachful. Like I think that the character work in this is what maybe distinguished it most for me and what I found to be um, the most compelling overall insofar as I, I really suspect that what sets this apart if only slightly from say nineties fantasy is that, you know, our, our main character is a gay woman uh, mm -hmm. and not, not that I think that that in and of itself makes it, you know, a great book, you know, but yeah. I think that that's a story that wouldn't, wouldn't have been told in the same way. And that is curious and, and enjoyable to me. No, true, true. Uh, and it, it is funny though, to be like, well, like literally what people want is mm -hmm. like, very stereotypical fantasy with just like one or two aspects being less stereotypical. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like li literally every novel that came out in 1992, but can it not just be about like straight people, you know, like a straight yes. white guy with, with, with like, you know, cool red hair and a magic sword instead it'll be about like, you know, a gay orc. Uh, yes. you know, like with a magic sword, which, well, I, don't, I actually don't know if, if her sword is magic. It's just kind of threatening. It's special yeah, in some way. but Yeah, it's there's something up with the sword, but we don't know what it, what that is. And that was, again, with the, with the mechanics problem, I was, I wanted to see the sword come out. It was completely, um, Chekhov's gun. Like, why? Right. <laughs> don't right. even tell me about black blood. It's okay. And, and so. Yeah, exactly. And like to the point that, well, you know, you don't want a big battle scene. There could have been yes. a confrontation, right, where she picks up the sword and she goes out and there's like, you know, there's like, you know, the mob is there to destroy stuff or whatever. Well, when and the cafe she's is about on fire, the cafe is on fire. And then at that moment, then she decides not to use the yes. sword. But but instead, she kind of like thinks about those things and is like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, like it's it's almost like the character of Viv is like, should this book have a plot? No, not not really. No. <laughs> just just it should just kind of like proceed to its conclusion, which. So basically yeah. what winds up happening in the book is um, they they run a successful coffee shop is about three quarters mm -hmm. of the length of the book. Uh, there's there's this this dickhead Fennis, um who is like the asshole elf rogue, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Um, and he finds out he, he shows up and kind of sniffs around and then eventually makes it known that, um, you know, he knows that, uh, so, so everyone, it's not totally clear what, what happened on that last job because it's, yeah. it's not, it's not like she hid exactly the fact that she was taking 
like what she was taking, but she kind of hid why she wanted the yes, yes. the Skullvert stone. And so Fennis has figured out that it's supposed to give, you know, good luck. And so he comes after it and he he tells the local mob boss about mm-hmm. it, which I, I, I actually thought, OK, I'm, I'm not normally one to criticize like the logic in a book because I think it's rather besides the point. But I do question the wisdom of telling like a fairly powerful mafioso about a valuable magical artifact that you also want under the theory that, well, it'll be a good distraction. It's like, you probably could have come yeah. up. You, you probably should have lied about what the actual thing was. And, you know, in, instead of telling the mob, the literal thing <laughs> that you wanted. Um, so, and then he winds up uh, burning down the coffee shop and makes off with the stone. Yes. Um, but then, the, and then they just kind of like rebuild the coffee shop. There's a moment where Viv is like, I'm going to give up. And they go, yeah. no, Viv, don't give up. And she goes, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and she's she's also broke at this point because as one might imagine, it seems the uh, the margins on running a fantasy cafe are, are extremely thin. So the town just comes together to help her rebuild the coffee shop because they love the cafe so much, uh, which is funny uh it doesn't there's yeah i i i think the logic of the book itself doesn't make sense at many moments and definitely that is one of the the bigger ones of just like you know as the place is burning down the madrigal appears with with clothes uh immediately and i to me to my mind that made me suspect that the magical was in fact who had burnt it down um yeah but uh, yeah and then the only actual moment of action uh other than the opening is the closing wherein Finnis is, is killed by his own greed because we learn that the, the Scalvert stone uh, attracts people who are like you. So if you're, if you're an asshole, it just brings someone around who's going to like cut you down in a dark alley. Um, which is, which I actually thought that that was a very good uh, twist, but I thought it yes. was deployed at the wrong moment. Um, I felt like it's because it's 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 kind of it comes out. Mm-hmm. I think it comes out before the coffee shop burns down. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're exactly right. She's told that actually um, she doesn't she never needed the stone to begin with. Actually, the yeah, stone you never needed just, the feather at all. Dumbo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But like I would have. So I. And again, maybe this is intentional on trying to keep it, you know, the lowest of low stakes. But yeah. I would have just bumped that after the fire so that she would have been like, well, you know, we're going to rebuild, but, you know, we don't have the stone anymore. And then you would find out that you didn't need it. And then it would go immediately into that that little stinger scene where, yeah, Fennis gets gets killed by um, Amity, I think is the name of the. Yes. Amity, the dire cat, the dire um, cat, which I did think was a, was was cute but but again yeah, i was charmed by it but again i would have liked a little bit more either humor or a little bit more description of the mm-hmm. dire because mm-hmm. you you mainly get the word dire cat and so imagine yes. you know that and like imagine it's, it's not like you know, imagine <laughs> that a dire cat yeah <laughs> now i'm thinking yeah. of uh the old lady who swallowed a what is it a bat i forget what this oh yeah, yeah the anyway. old lady who swallowed a fly yeah. <laughs> yes yeah um yeah, like I, I, I thought it was a good twist that was deployed at maybe not quite the optimal time for the way yes. that I would have liked uh, the book to be. It is also funny how like um, 
like Fennis is literally just like never real. Fennis like shows up consequentially like once. Yes. Where um he goes, oh, there's this cat here. There's this cat thing here that wants to kill me, and just like runs away. Uh, yeah. And then and then burns the shop down, and you you don't hear anything about about Fennis until you know the very last scene, which was which was clever. Um, mm-hmm. Although it was also. It was also funny how like I I would have liked that to be a little bit meaner, and you know I would have liked it to actually yeah. instead of the cat getting him I would have liked it to be you know a gang of ruffians or something or some you know horrible yeah. thing happens to him, uh, but you know so it goes I I suppose. Um, yeah, it really pointed out to me uh, like the encounter of Finnis and the cat, uh, just how much kind of tension and declension help to characterize uh, and help to show off kind of facets of what's going on in a novel because in this because there is no tension and because there are no moments of you know um there's there's awe sometimes like when the bard first starts performing uh but there's never beyond vague questioning like you might look at a like a at a neighbor with a weird hat on and be like hmm that's off there's nothing any really deeper than that wherein Viv engages with the environment. Uh, and that really stands out, I feel like, um, specifically with Finnis, because he's, I mean, I literally forgot until the end that he had A, shown up, and B, that he was an asshole enough to kind of steal. Yeah, yeah. I, this is possibly part of, uh, this possibly might be me, like, this is, sounds sounds funny to say, but I'm realizing that I re- I I depend upon the visual shape of a name to remember the name. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so when it's all when it was all just spoken, I couldn't keep track of Fennis or Tavis or Tangeri or Thimble. Like it's they're they're all they're all very similar names, and mm-hmm. a lot of the characters don't have a whole lot to do, nope. and so you don't have a lot of opportunity to remember them. Um, yeah, that genuine characterization of, of activity is kind of missing from the novel. And also about the names, I think that it does suffer from uh, like fantasy name syndrome. <laughs> yeah, it like, definitely does. Like yeah. you could have – any of these could have been – it doesn't have to be more normal names, but like – a lot of them end in a vowel and a lot like like a dwarf named Rune is both funny and also like – I mean it's a dwarf named Rune. Like it just – it. It is what it is. Uh, Thune the town. Like there's these moments where, uh, you know, it does speak to that comedy element, but that's never addressed. And instead, it's just yeah. a thing where everyone has a either too much name or or they don't they don't do <laughs> anything much, with it. In it. the case of Hemington, yeah. yeah, like there's there's there were two characters that to me stood out the most. Of like, it really feels like they were supposed to have more to do and then don't. Mm-hmm. One of them is Lack, who's who whose joke seems to be that he's a lackey? Um, oh yeah, yeah. But his mm-hmm. his his characterization is basically limited to, and I'm I'm not joking. He wears a big ugly hat. <laughs> it's, it's basically the whole of it's basically the whole of of his character. And then there's the old lady who has like a oh spice God, store yes. across the street, mm-hmm. and I, I don't even remember her name. <laughs> no, lady? I don't either. Oh, she's a witch, apparently. That. That's what the Wikipedia article says. I didn't realize that she. I didn't realize that she I was didn't a, read witch. Her as a witch. I thought, no. I thought she was just an old lady. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I was like trying to remember even why Viv initially interacts with her, and I think it's to ask her if the the abandoned 
yes. stable is for sale and who she needs to go buy that from. And honestly, the moment of Viv finding the town drunk uh, in, I think, the first tavern that she looks in to buy the stable from him, that's oh, one of yeah. the most kind of charming instants in the entire uh, novel, just because – when Viv meets him, she actually has to like warm up to someone uh, yeah. and kind of convince him that, you know, she's retired and, and she's built up all this money uh, and she and she just wants to kind of do something nice for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but but, he, but he, he 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 never shows up again in the story, does no, he? No, no, he doesn't. And he's just <laughs> he's like, oh, he's just seemingly glad to be be rid of the place, uh, which is just, you know, it's it's like it's. It's that lack of tension, I think. Uh, Viv, Viv always gets her way. You know from the beginning, I guess from the subtitle, that everything's going to go fine. But yeah, it's- I would have liked I, I would have liked at least a little bit of failure, like like 10 yeah. percent more, like not like like not enough to change the basic nature of the book, because, you know, mm. it's clearly going for a thing. And I would say it achieved that thing. Um, but yeah, just a, just like a, a Susan more. Um, (laughs) The other thing that I was really confused about was I was when they when they started talking about how the magical was like an older woman, I was convinced that she was going to be Laney. And I was like, oh, it turns out that like the witch across the street actually is the head of the mysterious mob. But it's like, no, 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 she's just a different old lady. (laughs) <laughs> she, she, she's just around and and again like we don't really yeah. ever their interaction is a little bit confusing <laughs> because it's yeah. never really dealt with the fact that she's she is still a mob boss who yeah, presumably yeah. The kills whole town people does pay rent to her yes but except for viv who pays in the form of baked goods produced by her her cooperative employee like i did like that um baldry seemed to slip in there that that viv is she doesn't see herself as the owner of this cafe it's like she's the proprietor um i did like the politics of that uh, but I found the um, the thing that really I chuckled for a long time when when they came up with the idea of renting the mugs out to people like you own your <laughs> mug, but then you come in every day and you buy the coffee that goes in the mug. Yeah, uh, and I was like, wow, okay, that's how we're doing take to go cups. There's no. It's a good business model. It's smart. Yeah. Oh, for you know? sure, it would it's save smart. the cafe. Yeah, it makes a lot of money. But I was just like, wow. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned. Um, so so i think to be Mm -hmm. fair that there are a lot of criticisms that you can make of this book Mm -hmm. um however i'm very frustrated with all the criticism with most of the criticisms that i heard about it especially from like the left of kind of like like left-wing you know writers of of which i would consider myself one because a bunch of them were just completely not accurate like i remember people complaining about like oh you know it's about you know your your boss being like your mom and and you know (laughs) you know but they're still employees but they literally fucking convert it to a co-op at the end of the book it's like very specific (laughs) it's clearly done with the intent of being like look i shouldn't own this and so i'm rather annoyed that all these you know, nitwits prattled on about that. It's like, well, you clearly didn't actually read the book because they literally yeah. <laughs> do do that. And it's not that right long thing. of a book. Yeah, they do. Yeah. It does, in fact, have pretty good like labor politics on the whole. Yeah, I would say, much. you know, like it, you know, I, I think that it probably could. It, it definitely leans into this idea of like, oh, you know, the you know, it's it's all cozy. And this is just mm-hmm. like one more nice thing that that she does. 
but she does do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even, you know, like Thimble has vague complaints about his workspace and that he needs more of an oven and they immediately kind of get on that, both for obvious business reasons and because like they're just Tandry and Viv are nice people who want good things to happen to Thimble. And it's like that's it's it's very pleasant. Uh now of course the inter-office romance between Viv and, and Tandry is something maybe they need an HR department. Um, but it, it's fine. Well, once it's a co-op, it's is that workable. still the case? It's, I mean, I mean, if they're both oh, owners, is that, true. you know, that's is, is, is there really an ethical owners. issue at that point? <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I, I do think that um, the most YA thing about this book is the very, mm. like, like hand-holdy romance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> which, yes. which oh my is, God. <laughs> is by the end is a little bit eye rolly. It's like, come on, <laughs> you you got yeah. you two are like in your thirties, presumably, or whatever. Like yeah. the thirties equivalent is for a succubus and, and, and an orc, whatever that might be. It's like you know, you're 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 not like I feel this strange feeling when I <laughs> when I hold hands with this person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is you might feel that feeling because you know she's a succubus. Uh. <laughs> I did think that was. I, I thought that that was handled reasonably well, but again, mm-hmm. it felt like an element that the author introduces and then doesn't really want to deal with yes, a whole lot. Explored. Be- yeah, because like it comes up a bunch of times like, oh, well, you know, succubi manipulate emotions and they can also sense emotions and they can steal your secrets. And yeah. but like typically what what happens is basically like somebody will come in and be like, oh, a succubus. And they're like, oh, I guess oh. it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with how much telegraphing happens about every other major plot beat, it was really uh surprising that nothing ever really happened with that with Tandry other than uh the creep the creep student coming in. Yeah, the creep um, student coming in, yeah. But yeah, like uh, and maybe maybe the one that you know, the one qualm I have with Viv is that she doesn't do anything to the Madrigal who is still I guess the yeah. mob. Um yeah. That's definitely the main thing where I was like, well, that's weird. Like that, that mm-hmm. definitely felt like, y- y- yeah, it's, it's very convenient. Like, well, she wants, yeah. you know, she wants five croissants <laughs> because she likes you, which is like f- fair, I guess. But, but the character is never, it, the, the character is then su- subsequently just treated like, well, she's this cuddly, nice old lady. It's like, yeah, but she yeah. also <laughs> presumably murders people still. Yes. Totally. Um, just not, not in this book. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, not at this very moment. Um, but no, I yeah, I and there's a prequel to this. Uh, yes, out, that which is, is apparently out now. Yeah, uh, which yeah, which bone, is bookshops yeah, and bone dust. Yeah, bookshops and bone. Which I I am confused reading the synopsis of it same. because it appears to be the same plot more or less, mm-hmm. but you know a number of years earlier when Viv is still a mercenary. Um, which is kind of funny when you think. Of yeah, she's because, tried this before and failed to some some extent. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Of of, I guess it's like helping like a struggling bookstore. Although, again, like a magical bookstore could be interesting, but I presume that not a whole lot, um, will happen. No, yeah, surely not. Um, um I, 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 I don't really feel any particular need. Um. To, to, to read, read the that. sequel. No, yeah, it's, no. You know, I, like, th- this is, this is a book that, like, I don't, I don't regret reading, mm-hmm. certainly because now I can form an actual opinion on it that isn't just, like, yeah. people <laughs> arguing on Twitter, which is perhaps the worst way of uh, forming an opinion. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
I do feel like I'm being exceptionally, you know, f- for me, kind to this. Like, my my inclination is really to go in guns blazing. Like, this is so fucking boring. God, nothing happens. And, like, I could easily have done the episode that way. But oh, it's, yeah. ra- it's, it's really rather besides the point because, like, it's set out to do exactly this. And it's mm-hmm. not something that – it's not really something that I find exceptionally annoying. Like, yeah. like again, it was written pretty well. It was it was pleasant enough. It's just very much not what I want to read. But you know, so be it. You know, that's the, like it, I don't think it's setting out to be read by me. Um, yeah, that was I, my sense as well. I just it's not. It's probably not a book for me. It's probably not a book for someone who got into fantasy for the reasons yeah. I got into fantasy. But if it brings more people to that uh, and to speculative fiction, and they find something else that they like, then it's yeah. done well. I this is like. this is very much written for like the critical role set oh, i would say oh, absolutely absolutely and uh, um yeah that is that was the that was the sense i really got um especially I, with the with the well voice acted uh extremely oh, well read thank you uh, thank you for yes thank you for bringing that back up i was very surprised by the audiobook yes. narration which mm-hmm. is is by travis baldry and he is mm-hmm. a fucking great audiobook narrator because yes. first of all he does voices extremely well like very very yeah. well um yeah. in, in a way that he probably does like 20 different voices throughout this mm-hmm. and they're all they're all fairly they're all fairly distinct i think yeah. cal cal is probably the the best done even if it's a very uh-huh. like stock kind every of, time it's it's, it's cal, definitely it's a kind of cal. old man pirate voice yeah. sort of but like with a little bit more of a brogue you know <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like <laughs> it, it, it is very much it, it is the voice that you're imagining um but mm. what i was surprised by is so i most recently listened to the audiobook of uh the Cory Doctorow novel the lost cause also narrated okay. by the author and it, it i i have to say i liked it less for the audiobook because it's <gasps> written in a kind of like a, a, a sort of like it, it was read in a sort of like desperate to be cute way where mm-hmm. it was kind of it, it kind of it had that it, it has that audio quality of somebody reading out loud and looking it to you like do you like this do you like this do you like this yes. do you like this and this very much doesn't in fact i would say that the narration in this the the voice he does is kind of like gravelly and is almost yeah. more appropriate for like a hard-boiled crime novel with this yes. it's an interesting choice that worked a lot better for me than if it had been fucking like will wheaton or someone mm-hmm. yeah no kidding uh it, it played the uh it played this this aged adventurer role extremely well uh now i still need to read the lost cause um i i've been looking at it at the bookstore very fondly for you a while will now probably you will uh, uh, so I have a review about to come out um, okay. of it on Ancillary uh, Review of Books. Who, if I'll be on the lookout, listeners, if you've never checked out their reviews, you should go read their reviews and essays. They're very well done. Great, great publication run by some cool people. I think that you will like the politics in the Lost yeah. Cause a okay. lot less. Good to know. Um, oh. but but I suspect that parts of it may well resonate um, with you more than they did. Uh, for for me, because it's 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 very much not written with a forty year old man in mind, even though it no, is written yeah. by a like you know fifty something year old man. It, it's it's yeah, very Dr. much magic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much written with like a you know I would say it's written with like a nineteen year old in mind. Um, but mm. but but um, but I liked this book a lot more than that one. Because that one had aspirations to be something that, in my opinion, it, it, it kind of succeeds at, but also kind of fails in a lot of like very conspicuous ways. Um, there's there's one part in there that I know you're you're gonna like fall out of your fucking chair. 
okay. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm not going to tell you about, but okay, but you. like this book sets out to be something, and I think succeeds at 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 being it. the The last mm-hmm. question that I have is a lot of people have talked about this book as like, oh, it's it's like comforting and healing, mm-hmm. and I really can't imagine. I, I don't know. Like I, I can't imagine any any great trauma being being healed by, by this no. book. Maybe like a bad day. I can heal. Yeah. Like I can imagine. Like I had a bad day, and and I'm reading this book, and, and now I feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I, but I, I guess that that is again. This is one of those things where I think the fans of this book are are way more annoying than the book is, and the book oh, is overall pretty pleasant. <laughs> it's kind of got like the Doctor Who thing going. For- <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, uh, I think that th- I really I found the exploration of a character who who does have a particular skill set that seems to be cutting off heads, uh, trying out a new thing to be compelling, uh, and certainly like I'm, and that's probably just me. That's probably mostly just where I'm at uh, right now in my life. But I do I really enjoyed how she came to uh, embody the town that she was in. Yeah. I thought that that was like, there was something inspirational or aspirational about that uh, for me, just the degree to which, you know, Viv's wanting to do good by people and try to do provide a certain kind of public service. Uh, it created a very pleasant life for her overall and something that she was able to, um to work well within. Uh, but I do think that, um, Aside from that, it, it feels like the story that you imagine it to be with, you know, fantasy and maybe some some queerness and maybe some labor politics just mapped onto that uh, like yeah. standard game. Yeah. 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 And and I, I think I forget what I was going to say. I'll probably remember mm-hmm. in like a minute. But but yeah, it's it's. It's overall, it's you know, it's fine. It's it's yeah, really fine. rather fine. You know, it's it's not. Uh, oh oh um, yeah oh, the the last criticism that I want to bring up is one mm-hmm. that I think I could make myself, and so I will. But then I will also kind of dispense with it, which is, I yeah. I do think it's fair to say this is a very like petty bourgeois sort of you know fantasy. It is the dream yes. of opening a business, and the mm-hmm. business does well. And really nothing mm-hmm. goes wrong and all of the challenges are eminently surmountable, right? Yes. And I, I do think that that's a fair criticism that you could lay against this book. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything inherently like, you know, de class A or anything ab- about yes. like wanting to succeed at a personal endeavor. Of course you want to fucking succeed at a yeah, personal yeah. endeavor. And it would, it is nice to be like, I'd like to own a coffee shop where nothing ever goes wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily want to read any more books about that. No, uh, But, but you know, c- certainly I, I think, and I think it's, it's probably protesting a bit, a bit too much to be like, Oh, you're bad class politics. You want to be a small business owner. It's like, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, more to the point, they, I do think this is about wanting to feel useful and like you are yes. contributing yeah. to something and doing something nice. And I don't think there's anything yeah. inherently, you know, bourgeois about, about no. that. 
Viv could have been a much different small business tyrant who, you know, goes and clears out the mafia just because it's convenient for her exactly. and then becomes her own mafia. Exactly. Like she that. could and have she, she could have bought up all the other property on the block yes. and become their landlord and done all this, you know, like like she become she, the biggest coffee shop ever. The big, yes, yes, a coffee shop chain and then yeah. the next book is like is like a work of like epic fantasy about, you know, two you know, warring coffee shop art or something um oh oh i do want to convey uh as kind of a closing thought a a complaint mm-hmm. on behalf of my wife which was which is um somebody recommended this book to her and called it an epic romance which it very much is not <laughs> no, and and no. as soon as i brought up this book she was like that book is not a romance there's no romance in it there's barely even any kissing there's nothing yeah. there's nothing there's no romance which is which is very true they're really it, it, it is I was surprised at yeah, me the too. the invisibility of the romance in it. And again, I think that's very much a choice, but I would have preferred a little bit a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. I especially think. right now with romance being like huge. Like everything which, is yeah, romance. Yeah, and it's which nice. is kind of it's a good time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was and it was crazy that there was none to be spoken of here. It was this book is almost yeah. uh, uh, asexual in its outlook. They don't do anything. Nothing happens. Um, yeah. Wait, I I did think it's funny that like they they spend half the book like sharing a bed. Um, yes. And yeah. then and then the end of the book is uh, I built you a separate bedroom that you could move into if you'd like. It's like we've well, already kind of been like sleeping yeah. together, you know, like literally yeah. sleeping together, not not euphemistically sleeping together. No, so yeah, it, it, it is kind of fu- funny to be like, would you do me the honor of moving to a different bed? Yeah, get out of my room. <laughs> get the fuck out of my room, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't really have anything more to say about this book. Not I don't yet, think it really deserves it. the criticisms that were lobbied against it because yeah. honestly, if this were the worst shit that people were reading and like and like supporting, I would be perfectly happy to exist in in that world. <laughs> oh yeah, it'd be perfectly <laughs> sufficient. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, well thank um you. yeah, well, so Lennox, where can people find more of your work if you'd care to share? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I have one thing out in Blood Knife. Um I don't I don't know. That's kind of it for me right now. Uh, I'm certainly working on a few projects, but I mean, frankly, you can cut this out, but between you and me, most of my stuff is currently in uh in my school newspaper. Uh and there's no reason to go read that because it's it's <laughs> crank opinions. <laughs> I do op-eds currently. Uh fair so. enough. At well, I would I very will, much yeah. love to have you back, although not for another Travis Baldry book. No, <laughs> I don't no think. more Travis Baldry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like they say in um in uh, Zoolander, you know, uh, to, to paraphrase, Travis Baldry, he's another person that I admire. His writing, I don't really care for it. But the fact that he's out there doing no, yeah. it, yeah, I support that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I support it. Uh, anything that brings people kind of to speculative fiction seems pretty good to me. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if I if I had my own wish stone, uh, I would wish that people would be a little <laughs> bit less annoying um, yeah. about it. But you know, at the same time, there are far worse things that people are annoying about. So, like, what the fuck am I complaining about? Yeah. Have you been keeping up with My Heart Is a Chainsaw as a trilogy? No, I, 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 to be perfectly honest, I don't even fucking know what that is. <laughs> oh, it's Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, he's a, 
how to describe him. He's like if Stephen King was an indigenous writer uh, okay. who, who writes kind of a novel a year or two right now, it seems like. He's an English teacher down in Texas or English professor. And uh, he's got uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw, which is the story of, of Jade, who is a, a goth girl who is obsessed with uh, slasher movies, who becomes like convinced that her small town has a has a slasher coming to it, a serial killer who's going to kill everybody. Uh, and then the sequel to that is Don't Fear the Reaper. It came out last year. Uh, and now there's a there's a third one coming out yeah, this spring. Uh, and it's it's perhaps the it's perhaps the best horror like no series that's coming out right now. I think that it, easily my heart is a chainsaw is a uh, is the best exploration of kind of a, a singular mindset character that I've mm-hmm. ever read. Uh, just seeing someone literally lose their mind uh, on the page uh, and then come back from that uh, and kind of try and heal trauma. It's a, it's a lot about trauma. Well, you know, if you'd come back for it, uh, I, would. <laughs> I, I would love to do an episode on on one of those books, if not the whole series. The whole series might be I, – I don't know how long the books are, but um, <laughs> we have we have done horror in the past, uh, yeah. notably well, The Fisherman, um, which oh, I very yeah. much enjoyed reading. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great, great fucking book. But, yeah, I think um, you would like – I think you would like My Heart is Chainsaw or any of them, but yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I will have to check it out. Uh, Lennox, thanks again Absolutely. for coming on. Um, yeah, thank and you everyone, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a delight. I I won't say that I enjoyed the book, but I didn't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks everyone for listening, and uh, join us again next time on Podside. Bye, bye, bye.